Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Critical thinking is a widely sought-after skill in individuals, both in education and the workplace. But achieving it is often elusive. Although the definition of what critical thinking is has been changing since the time of Socrates, the core idea has remained the same. Socrates established the importance of asking deep questions before a particular idea is accepted as worthy of belief. Socrates established the importance of seeking evidence and reflectively questioning beliefs and explanations. So what does critical thinking mean in the modern workplace and how can it be developed in individuals? My guest is a leader in organizational development and has been successfully embedding critical thinking skills in the workplace. Julie Laverne is the Vice President of Organizational Development at CBN, the Canadian banknote company, an award-winning Canadian security solutions company best known for printing Canada's banknotes. Julie is a chemical engineer with extensive experience in senior roles in the areas of operations, quality management, and systems development. In her current role, she has developed a new corporate division focused on attracting, developing, retaining, and organizing people to support the business now and in the future. Thank you, Julie, for joining me today. Thank you, Kinga, for having me. To start the conversation, can you first tell me how you define critical thinking? I look at it as the ability to gather the most relevant data, and relevant being a keyword in a systematic way to analyze it in order to form a judgment at the end of the day. And that judgment could be a decision or a problem you're trying to solve or a risk you're trying to manage or you know, form an action plan. So why is critical thinking important in the workplace, which is what we're going to focus on? The workplace is all about efficient use of resources, right? Whether that's money or people, but often in terms of the efficient use of people, you want to make faster decisions. You want to solve the root cause of problems. You want to get to the root cause of it again, faster. You want to make sure they're working on the right priorities. Mm-hmm. And so again, that, those are all key factors of maximizing resource effectiveness, So that's the benefit of critical thinking is maximizing the use of your resources. How does that strengthen the organization? I mean, it's important, of course, to use resources well and efficiently and to make the right decision. But how does critical thinking strengthen the organization per se? I think if every individual thought better as a team, how much greater that output would be. And imagine if all those discussions just was, I'll call it a little bit more greased, right? All those, and, and went smoother, those, those discussions on strategy or the risks they're, they're managing. What if that process was optimized, a little bit less sticky, a little bit less going around in circles, right? We've all been in those meetings. So I think that's how it really strengthens the organization. They move faster as a team. They're more pleasant conversations. They're more aligned. So mm-hmm. those, those are all the kind of great benefits I see in organizations. 
Because they all know the structure on, on which they're talking. Is that right? Common language, right? They're, they're not discussing the process of how to get there, of how to analyze the problem. They already know, right? They're already in the, the same kind of wavelength of we're going to go through these steps to make that decision or solve that problem. They're using the same language. So they're more focused on solving it than, than focusing on getting aligned. That's really, really important. And so, of course, this takes practice and it takes time which like anything, it takes effort to implement. But what is the danger of not fostering critical thinking in an organization? I mean, we're moving faster and faster and time is more of the essence. But what do you see as the main danger of actually not doing this? I think it's falling behind. I mean, if, if you're not, if you're making a decision, but you don't have all the best relevant data or you're not able to structure it to have the best outcome, you're not solving the root cause of your problems, your people are not working on the most top priorities, then you start falling behind as any organization. You're not becoming as relevant. You're not connecting. That's the biggest risk. And and you see it all the time where you wonder, you know, why are people working here or thinking about this? And Okay, so the, the, the easiest example I have of this, and this is outside the workplace, is when COVID happened, the pandemic happened, everybody rushed for toilet paper. Mm-hmm. And I, how is that rational? How does that make sense? How is that the most use of one person's time? And how is this a root cause of problems or any, any of those situations? So I think to your point, we could all be a little bit more rational, use our critical thinking skills to just be more efficient use of our time. That's a really good example because it's one of those examples we can all look back onto. And even sometimes in the situation, some people were saying it's not rational, but it was happening because people were stressed. There was a lot of different, you were pulled in many different directions. You thought I better save time and make sure I get this now rather than later. All things that we encounter in the workplace, especially when it's very, very busy, leading to decisions that are not necessarily the best in the long run. So it's Taking that time at the beginning, as you said, might look like, oh, I'm slowing it down. But in the end, you're actually speeding it up because you're going to be putting your efforts into activities that are worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And I think the key point is, is emotional, right? What was happening in that time was a very, very emotional response. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why people run with their emotions and their fears. Yeah. And that's what overcame. And mm-hmm. that's why sometimes you have to step back and say, okay, what is rational at this time? What makes the most sense? Mm-hmm. I'll give you another example. On the weekend, we we're at the cottage and it's a frozen lake. And it's been frozen. It's been minus 20 for three months or whatever it is. We're walking on it. It's cracking. Mm. And we all freak out. <laughs> but then I just sat there and as my heart was racing, I go, there is no, my rational mind says there is no logical way that there's an issue here. Mm -hmm. It's been frozen. There's blood on it. But again, it's just, I was overwhelmed by fear and I just wanted to run and I needed to go through a logical step of going, okay, what is my data to tell me that this is safe? How do I continue being okay here? So again, it's not an organization example, but it's, it's just a day-to-day life that forces me into realizing that it affects not only my work life, but my, my personal life. Absolutely. And as you said, especially when you're under emotional and stress and 
being pulled in different directions, then it's the most important that this is a practiced muscle of the steps that you go through to make sure you are being critical. Otherwise, you do fall into that trap of an instant decision that actually in the end isn't necessarily the most rational or best outcome. So what aspects of critical thinking do you see missing or that are challenging for organizations? I'll go through it in two ways. I'll look at it it from the individual and from the organization. So from an individual perspective, it's understanding facts versus assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talked about getting relevant data, often we have to move forward with some form of assumption. Right, and knowing the difference between that is really important. I call assumptions little landmines. You have to walk among them. Sometimes it's just part of life. You don't always have the true source of the data, but they may blow up on you. So your ability to navigate moving forward, knowing what is truly a fact, what is an assumption or an interpretation, being clear on that difference is very, very important. My second comment goes back to listening and questioning skills. So it's the ability to answer the question as it's stated. Mm. And once you start picking up on this fact and you start looking at the dynamics, so often a person will ask a question, the other person will think they answered it, but in fact, they gave a whole bunch of other really interesting pieces of data and really good story that you get wrapped up in it. But when you look at it, fundamentally, you go, did that person answer that question as it was intended? Mm-hmm. And I think often that happens. And I think that's another part in terms of individuals, make sure that the question is being answered properly. That's so important. So that's from an individual. So from facts versus assumptions and answering the question from an organization is now you have, even if everybody is good thinkers on their own, they're great critical thinkers on their own, the ability to think together. So the ability for a team to come together and form that synergy and that thinking, because thinking is not visible, right? So there's all these tools of how to make it more visible in order to kind of gel together as a team and speak that same language. So that's, as an organization, another challenge. The other one I see is how much process to use, right? Mm. So sometimes a five-minute paper napkin, you know, these are my options, this is the data I have, you know, kind of sketching it out on a paper napkin is good enough. Sometimes you need to be locked up in room for two days because it's a, you know, a major decision and you need to get through the details a lot and think about it more thoroughly and use a lot more process. Right. So sometimes that the, the ability for a team to think together and evaluate how much process to use, you know, how much, you know, systematic way they're going to go through is challenging in organizations. That is definitely really hard. And there's so much in there because so much on the individual level to be aware of as well and on the organizational level. And I liked what you said that you walk among assumptions, but you still need to be aware of them and to be trained to kind of test yourself on, is it an assumption or is it fact? And also about when we speak to each other, what you said as individuals that we ask a question and get a completely different reply. And so often, even when someone says something to us, we also hear something very different that mm-hmm. that continuous misinterpretation or missing the the point of that question or conversation is such an important thing to train ourselves in, isn't it? Because so many misunderstandings happen in that way. Yeah, very true. Which is fascinating. And on the organizational level, certainly very complex. To start implementing critical thinking in an organization, what should a leader 
do? What should the first steps be in making sure that an organization is moving towards a successful implementation? So I could tell you what, what we've done. We start with, with a formal training. So there, there is a baseline. So when we talk about a systematic way of analyzing the data, well, mm-hmm. what is that system? What is that process, right? So teach what we call the basics, um, have people understand what is critical thinking. So it's a three-day course. We partnered with Kepner Trago, an organization that founded a lot of these processes 60 plus years ago. Um, and so we call that, you know, level one, everybody get mm-hmm. baseline. We have found that's not, that's not enough. And that's one of the errors a lot of organization has done is assume that's enough. And we, mm. you know, you're in the learning space. That one classroom is not enough to, for them to truly be effective in it, especially in this kind of thinking space. So then as they go and practice on their own or in teams, we move people to the next level called facilitators. Mm-hmm. Right. So just so have people that are experts in the process could work a room and kind of tease out and and guide people. Right. That's the role of any facilitator, whichever process it is. But then you have people that kind of guide others in it. And so what it does is it showcases how to use the process effectively, how to have the people think together, use the same language, use enough process, whether it's a little or a lot, just to try to get the right amount. So I think that's the structure. And then the next one is really those that teach it and champion it. Even our, our best facilitators, there's still a new area, a new context, a new scenario that they have in face. And there's a lot of people dynamics in this, right? So it's the, it's, it, they could be the best process thinker themselves, but then you get a whole bunch of other different people in the room with their own emotions and trying to kind of balance that out. And so then we get into that really deep coaching. So that's kind of the, how we've implemented it. And that's where leaders have to, like any other topic, and this is where it competes with a lot of other topics and organizations to improve is that leaders have to request it, right? Have to say, oh, thank you for that recommendation on this piece of software. Can I see how you came to that decision? You know, Mm -hmm. how did you analyze it? What what were all the alternatives? And trying to really show me your thinking, show me that you thought about this critically. And so that's where a key piece at, at the end to drive that behavior. You are making it very much a continuous process. There's no end to constant learning and checking and supporting each other in this and very much a part of the culture. As you said, the leaders, I'm sure everybody among themselves as well, asking these questions of what was your thinking? What was your rationale? So is that really ingrained into the culture of the organization? I'll say yes, it is. And it's always ongoing. Obviously, there's a lot of good things happening. People are recognizing it, but you still get, you know, COVID was a great test to be caught up in emotions and realizing Mm -hmm. even while we think we're experts, there's still some areas that are flawed or can be improved or, or sometimes thinking that, oh, we don't need any process. I can make this decision quick. Again, that's also realizing, is it, is, can you just jump to a conclusion right now? Is that the best approach? Yeah, absolutely has to be part of the culture and recognizing it's just an ongoing effort. Yes, definitely. Especially with something like when you're changing the way you're thinking, the way you're rationalizing and, and working through problems, that can never have an end. That always needs to be improved and always needs to be reminded uh, to make sure that that is, that is followed. So that's great. So what are the top three actions that can help to teach and foster critical thinking? 
Um, so talk to a little bit about that, right? The, the leader making, making a requirement to show your thinking. So if I come to you, Kinga, and say, I really want to buy this $5 million piece of software. Can you mm-hmm. give me the money? And even if it's a hundred thousand, depending on, you know, budgets, you saying, well, show me how you came to that conclusion. What was the scope of your decision to start with? Were you just looking at software? Or were you being more creative on, you know, how to solve this, this issue that led you to want to buy this piece of software? And so making that your thinking visible on paper then allows you to follow my thought process, allows you to understand where I evaluated things higher. So mm-hmm. I think just starting from that, it helps you evaluate how much critical thinking there was mm-hmm. and how good it was. That is such an important thing, I think, on an individual basis, just to write it, sketch it out. It always reminds me about True. In, in math class, when the teacher asks you, show me how you solve the problem. And that's a very elementary beginning yes. of teaching this yeah. type of process where if you write it out and show it step by step, it's that practice of showing your work and thinking things through, even when you think you can jump to the solution. So I'm sure everyone has experienced that nagging math teacher who said, show me your work, don't just give me the answer. This very much plays into it. I love that analogy and it's great. And I think somewhere along the way when we we became adults and working the workplace and being very busy and doing a hundred things in a day and saying, I don't have time, mm-hmm. right. To, to show all of my thinking. Mm. Um, and, and again, that's the judgment call. It's not for everything. You don't need to show every, every move you made, but there are certain ones that you need to make it Absolutely. visible. You need to show alignment, you know, there's bigger impact and you'd be surprised how often we keep talking about an issue that if we would have just the times that we just made it visible, we probably we found a lot more time for ourselves because it was just easy breezy, done and dusted, moved on. Whereas when that's not visible, people circle and ask questions and try to understand a little bit more. And so you kind of go in circles. Right. So then number two, you know, and I, and, and these this is interesting because I don't think it's just these tips, as you pointed out, it's not just critical thinking. It's a lot of other improvements in the organization, but one of the things because it's so hard, can't measure thinking. So, you know, you go through all these training and facilitation and coaching, and can I now measure your brain and say, you know, you've (laughs) raised your critical thinking quotient by so much? You can't, right? So how do you talk about that ROI? Why people want to know, you know, what am I going to get from all of this investment Mm -hmm. um, into this time? So I kind of like, a little bit of that healthy competition. You just start pointing out and going, oh, well, look, you know, this person asked $5 million for that, you know, piece of software. And yeah, it was, it was approved. It was approved in an hour. It was easy. And you have the other example of like, well, I've been trying to convince them to do this. And you go, oh, okay, well, did you lay out your thinking? Did you do this? Did you do that? Mm -hmm. And then they start realizing that those that are using critical thinking, those that are making their thinking visible, are moving a little bit faster, right? Or, or having a bigger impact or getting approvals quicker, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I kind of say, short of being able to measure the brain, maybe point out where there's those efficiencies. And it is a little bit at the team individual level, right? Like their, mm-hmm. their impact and the output that they have and start talking right. about that. That's really good to highlight the reasons why certain things are successful because they are outlining their thinking and showing it, communicating it more clearly, highlighting that difference and the success stories along with it is such that would be a really wonderful thing in an organization. 
Mm-hmm. That's really good. And then the third you said is coaching. What does that look like in this realm? I always talk about having that mirror. Who is helping you put a mirror to yourself mm. and able to see where there's improvements potentially? And so I see that because thinking is so hard, you're just, you know, you, especially if you're in, in it yourself, if you're trying to think about something yourself, you're probably emotional about it, your own mm-hmm. self. So you're trying to think through it. And so I think getting that help of working with that coach to just highlight, right? Like play catch ball in helping you realize, was that a fact or an assumption? How do you know that's a fact? Did you answer that question? And thinking of all these other tips and tricks along the way and helping that person go, you're right. I think I moved forward with an assumption in you. And that's where, that's where maybe things blew up. You know, I put too much weight on assumption. I didn't do that. So I think helping out that coach It's just helping you dissect your own brain a little bit. Mm, Absolutely. And I'm always surprised how in sports, a coach is a well-understood position and it's a well-understood why it's important in work that requires thinking. And when it's the thinking that needs the coaching, it's very rarely discussed. It's seen as more something that you should be doing on your own. Whereas it's such an important thing, as you said, to raise the mirror, to challenge, to question, to, and to just bounce back and forth to develop that thinking also, because, and to know how to do that. There's definitely a personal side to it, right? A very kind of raw, open kimono, right? If I see you inside my brain, it it just, there's a, a, a personal element that I think is kind of working through and you know, I like to compare it to a little bit of your same analogy of the gym, right? Mm-hmm. If a person struggles with exercise, it's a bit personal, maybe it's a little bit vulnerable to go to the gym and say, can you help me with some basics, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that's how they improve. And it's mm-hmm. a muscle and etc, they need to work on. And I see it thinking as the same way to your point, let's be vulnerable, let's look at what I've got. And let's, let's see how I could improve things. But I think it's just, it, it probably ties into vulnerability and allowing that to, to mm. be more open. Absolutely. And what about the role of the coach? So who is put into that role and how do they play this role out to make it effective? What have you seen as being successful? Because we also hear about coaching in so many different ways and not always necessarily effective, but what do you think is important in this aspect? That's a great question because earlier on, so some of the mistakes that we've done is we'd say, okay, who's going to be the, even just at the facilitator level, mm-hmm. and we'd say, okay, who, who, who should we have the facilitator who should, you know, you know, and as an extension, the coaching, and sometimes they would identify the usual suspects. Sometimes they would identify somebody that's very smart, somebody that would identify somebody that's very, you know, personable. And then we put them through the program and, and, and they may be great critical thinkers, but they wouldn't, grasp it you have to have just a a true interest Mm. in it a curiosity Mm -hmm. and so we've actually stopped we stopped asking names and all we do is from that first intro class you just observe where you know you see the 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 light bulbs go up the the sparkle in their eye where they're connecting with the material you Mm. know and they're really interested in deep diving so we just let those people no matter where they are in the organization, no matter what level, we foster that sparkle. And then you could see that they, they become coaches because they're just so interested. So we give them the tools to, to advance their thinking. And as you see that interest, 
and then they, they naturally end up being coaches. And then, then we refer them, you know, we'll, we'll refer internally, go, oh, go, go, go talk to so-and-so they're, they're really good at this or this type of situation. And so they could help you through that. How does that work when there's big projects and big decisions to be made, then the, the organization tries to connect the group working through some kind of problem with coaches in the organization that might be able to help them? How does that work? Yeah, depending on the level, right? Sometimes there's just a, a small group one. So they'll grab, you know, Bob down, down the hall. Well, that doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore, but you know. <laughs> the virtual hall. <laughs> yeah, the vir- virtual hall. They'll just grab somebody. They say, oh, you know, this person's work. And there's a little bit of familiarity. You know, I've, I've worked with them before. It could be a group member, a team member. Sometimes it's like they recognize going, ah, this one's, you know, I think all of us, they look around the team and go, we're all pretty emotionally invested in this. We probably need a, an outside party. So they go get yeah. somebody that they trust. So if they can't sort themselves out and they start knowing who some of the suspects they'd like to work with, then they come to me and, and the colleague of mine and they say, Oh, this is a big one. Which one do you recommend? <laughs> right. And especially they'll, they'll give us a bit of, it'll be very emotionally charged or mm. um, it, it's really complicated or et cetera. And then depending on the experience, because I think, I'm still learning. I've been at this for mm-hmm. 10 plus years. I've taught it many times. I've been, but every new scenario has me do mental gymnastics as well. Right. Yes, and so, definitely. so we start saying, okay, who has seen similar types of situation, et cetera. So then we could recommend somebody or I do it myself, et cetera, depending. That's really important. And that role of it being a good fit, that that factor of being a good fit in terms of knowledge and experience, and that's such an important thing, isn't it? How do you balance that aspect of having enough familiarity with the subject, with the field of the group that they're coaching, but also being an outsider so that they're not necessarily directly involved in what the decision is? What could you consider in that balance? Yeah, we often talk a lot about that. Can you be can you be a facilitator if you're a subject matter expert? So the idea of if you're going to have a decision, et cetera, you're, you're gathering a group of, of SMEs in a room. And if you're part of that, can you be the facilitator? And I think it depends on, on the person's self-awareness, if mm-hmm. they're able to stick to being a facilitator and not get emotionally invested, because I think you need to be seen as that person that just drives the process, ask the questions, make sure they're being answered, you know, test assumptions, et cetera. So you have to just be seen as that person. And if you start getting emotionally in there and offering your own opinions and da, 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 or, you know, Hey, I have this piece of data, it messes things up. So we kind of have a um, saying, I'm getting out of putting my pen down and, you know, I'm switching my hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you know this happened? You know, we may have this data and move on. And so I think it's just a, a depending on the situation and the facilitator, they, they make the decision if they can keep their hat facilitator hat on or, or if they can't, then they get, then that's where they go get somebody else. It's really, really important. It's a very sensitive sense of a role to be in. Uh, Definitely a very important Mm -hmm. role. So of course, there's so many aspects of this that we can discuss in terms of the intricacies of helping organizations and individuals become more critical thinkers and ingraining that into the culture. But you highlighted three important actions, which is making it a requirement to show your thinking having healthy competitions, which be shown in very different ways in different organizations, and then including coaching into the organization structure, which is really fantastic. So do you have any final words of advice 
on how to build critical thinking into the organization and what people should be aware of as they are venturing down this road. I can't practice, 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 practice. And I know mm-hmm. that's, that's a lot of similar things, but, and it, it can't be seen as a separate learning process. It's not a separate add-on task that you do as a separate objective. It, it, it can't be seen separate. It has to be seen as part of the work that you do. I often follow up with those that learned the level one, that, that first class intro and how's it going? Did you get to practice a little bit? And they go, um, it was really interesting class, but it, it doesn't really apply to me. Okay. And I say, really? I said, so you, in your job, you know, it says it doesn't apply to me in my role. I, I don't see it. I, I, it's not applicable. I said, mm-hmm. oh, so you never make a decision in your job. You never have any problems or you never have to, pr- you, so much work that you have to prioritize. I said, well, you got a pretty great job if you have none <laughs> of that. And mm-hmm. they start thinking, oh, okay. I said, so it's about, again, so it's, it's kind of through practice, you see all the little ways it applies mm-hmm. and back to not conversion to the big process. Of course, you, you know, we often teach the big process, give a, a few examples of the, the napkin process, but you have to understand the ultimate goal and all the steps to know which ones you're going to skip depending on what you're trying to achieve. So I think every scenario is different. I said that, you know, it's mental gymnastics in every context, which makes you learn. So you, it's really, really about practicing. Mm. And so what do you, when you, when you talk to people who say this doesn't apply to my job, what might be an example of a type of work that they're doing that they didn't see it applicable that they could apply it in, but actually that they could, what kind of task or what kind of work were they doing? That might be a good example where it's not immediately obvious that it can be applied. One of the main ones I try to use as an example is, do you have too many things to do on your to-do list? Mm-hmm. Often it's, I think it's common now that you don't Definitely. end the day with nothing to do the next day because yeah. you finished everything that day. And that, you know, most of the time there's things that overlap you know, day after day, week after week. And so you start getting like, Ooh, I've got so much to do. And I think that applies to a lot of people. And so I think, you know, we call it situation appraisal. And it's just, it's just a a list out your priorities and create, create an action plan, being clear on which ones you have to work on first, which ones have more of an impact and kind of getting clear on your to-do list because people just do to-do. But again, do you know you're working on the right things right now? Are are you working on the most important stuff? Mm -hmm. Right. So kind of analyzing your workload. So that could be done daily that could be done weekly that could be done to set your objectives for the year you know what is it you want to accomplish Uh, that's one example the other one is do you have more than one way to do your job so let's say if you have to do a process right I could do steps a b c d in my job Hmm, I wonder if I should do you know e f g h and just a process step Mm -hmm. and so I I also say well that's a choice how are you evaluating that choice are you sure that you only have two options? Maybe you have three or four. Did you think about that? So I think sometimes it's just breaking down their day-to-day work and stuff that they do and then seeing how it applies in those situations. Absolutely. Those are really good examples that I think everyone can relate to. And and I guess it's that aspect of stepping back and taking a look at why you're doing what you're doing as a starting point of the analysis, mm-hmm. isn't it? Which we often don't get time for. Totally setting the purpose. Yeah, setting the purpose. Definitely. 
again, huge topic to delve into. So that was a really, really fantastic way of, of understanding more about it and the important part about it being an integral part of an organization. Because as you said, it is absolutely not a class that you can then walk back into your job and get to mm-hmm. being a critical thinker. It really does need to be an ongoing and also a very multi-pronged approach by the organization. So that's really, really good. So before we end, I always like to ask if you have a recommendation for something to watch or read on this topic that you find interesting and others might as well. You know, I've been asked this question a few times. I find myself to be the biggest hypocrite, to be honest, because (laughs) I love this topic. I've digested it. I've taken so many classes, but I can't say I've read that many books on it. Mm-hmm. I find myself having done the core, right? The basic training mm-hmm. and just continuously being self-aware of what I'm doing and practicing, as I said, and just kind of refining my thinking, you know, seeking others, right? I have my own coach and go through that. What I find myself reading is other support material that goes into how to be, you know, be more self-reflective or how to create habits or emotions, how to facilitate with people, how do you deal with emotions in a room. So I find myself reading more about the surrounding support processes than about critical thinking itself, because I find Mm -hmm. it ends up being a lot of theory and you go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I get that. I totally get that. Yeah, 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 it's easy. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. I mean, you know, when you explain decision, you know, evaluate your options, do pros and cons list or whatever, a lot of people go, "Uh uh-huh, I totally get that. That's easy, Mm -hmm. right? That's what I do. And so I find reading sometimes is not enough. It's it's the basics. So as long as you have your mm-hmm. basic foundation somewhere, I kind of always go back to that. I like to call it brain mush and, you know, do the gymnastics in your own brain and flip things around in, in each scenario that you're faced. And I feel that's the greatest learning, at least I have done and what I've seen in others. Mm. I mean, it's definitely the type of topic where it's not black and white. You know, it's not two plus two is four, regardless Mm -hmm. what scenario you're in, it's always going to be four. It's the type of work that, and this is why it's so difficult to teach as well, because it is very different in different scenarios. And you need to be rethinking about how you're applying your learning and taking, Mm -hmm. as you said, all the supporting information and material of how to be doing the right, you know, how to be thinking through it. So it requires as you were saying, coaching is a very important part and talking to other people about it and having that bouncing back and forth is a really, really important part. So if anybody would be interested to bounce ideas off and get more information, is there some way that they can maybe contact you? Yes, I love talking about this stuff. And anybody that follows me on LinkedIn knows I like to put little tidbits of things that I'm learning along the way or tidbits, etc. So they could contact me at on LinkedIn is probably the best way at, uh, you know, on Julie Laverne on on LinkedIn. Perfect. And that'll be on the show notes, a link for that. I love the post that you put up about this and even just triggering that thinking when you read the posts and the questions you put up, I really, really enjoy. So it's very much an ongoing process and, and it's wonderful that you came to talk about it and to, to give very important insights and experience about it. So thank you so much, Julie. 
And thank you, Kinga, because I think we've always loved discussing this and you've mm. always been that, that person that helps, you know, we talk about these gymnastics, right? Mm -hmm. You've always had this catch ball, you and I, and you've always also um, helped, always question me, how are you applying that? How is that working in the workplace? I, I always loved our exchanges and I love that you, what you're doing with this podcast and how you're, you know, messaging this to, to the world and, and learning. I think it's really great that you're doing this. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. I always love our conversations. So thanks very much.